We live in a modern, hyper-connected world where everything is becoming smart and connected. Curious about what lies ahead and how this will impact your daily life? I'm Brett Jordan, and this is Smarter Everything, a podcast on the future of connectivity, powered by Afero. Today I'll be talking with Kirsty Payne, a cryptographer and mathematician that is former UK NCSE and now working at Splunk as a strategic advisor. In our last episode, Kirsty and I talked a lot about various standards, specifically around EN303645 that came out of Etsy. Today, we're going to touch on a few more standards, but we're going to focus a little bit more on keeping track of the attack surface from these devices and how IoT devices will ultimately impact our daily lives. Here's my conversation with Kirsty. Um, Kirsty Payne, uh, Splunk Technical Advisory for EMEA. Kirsty, I'd like to come back to a topic we touched on last time around this idea of multiple competing standards and this fractured standards ecosystem. When I look across the board, there can be a lot of different standards that seem to compete with each other. Standards from different organizations that seem to, to address or satisfy one, one piece of this larger puzzle. You know, for example, all of the standards in and around IoT. I, I think this can cause, you know, a lot of problems for companies, you know, when they're trying to understand which standards they should pay attention to and which ones they should implement. From your perspective, how does all of this impact the market? And will legislation and or regulation play a part here? Yeah, well, I think um, it's fair to say no one loves meeting standards or regulation and they'd prefer to meet one than to meet 20. <laughs> and uh, I think this is where it can be really helpful to have governments involved in standards because they're not financially motivated, right? They're motivated by the needs of the citizen in general. And so that's quite helpful when it comes to, you know, what would a small enterprise want to do in this case? Well, they prefer to just use one standard. Um, and, and so that's where government can be really powerful on that, actually, and, and help. So for legislation, it's always the aim to make it reasonable, achievable, practical, and not to do too much too quickly, but just to do the right amount to influence the, the market as it's needed. Yeah, in the case of standards, I think, you know, the old XKCD comic that we've all seen where there are 14 competing standards, I'll write one to unify them all, and then you end up with 15 standards. And it, it's just no good for anyone, right? It's good to have a diversity of choice, but it would be much better if those experts just pile in together, work out their creative differences and and I think this is where for IoT, we had quite a lot of success in Etsy because everyone recognized the urgency of the problem, right? It is still embarrassing that in 2020, as it was, people were, you know, releasing devices with admin admin as the password. And so we can talk all we like about really niche attacks and making sure it's side channel resistant and all this stuff. But actually, no one's even getting that far, right? They're still just using admin admin. It's, it's uh, about realizing the problem you have, understanding the interventions that make sense in doing that. So I think fracturing is, is just something to be avoided. If possible, if you're thinking you really have something genuinely different to add, a real delta, try to roll that into the existing standard or build on top of it and align. And, and that will really help with adoption, which is the ultimate point of a standard, right? perfect standard that doesn't get adopted is not perfect yeah it's just paperweight on a shelf so yeah you bring up another fun point that would be fun to kind of dig into is you know the attack surface of these connected things that people bring into their home and by attack surface you know we mean the mechanisms or the entry points that 
an adversary or threat actor or somebody, you know, that's you know, trying to break in, you know, the more of those there are. So you can think about this in the terms of maybe like a large home. And the more doors and windows you have on the ground level, the more entry points, you know, a burglar or somebody that's trying to come in and, you know, steal from you, you would have access to. And so, you know, when you leave, there's a lot of things you have to walk around the house to make sure they're all shut, make sure all the doors are locked, you know, those sort of things. And so attack surface is this term that we like to use when we talk about how big is the amount of, of surface area that can exist for a threat actor. And so when we think about this IoT world and this connected you know, smart home um, and then moving out to like a, a metropolitan area and then also to a grid level, like this could be really dangerous when you start thinking that there are still devices being shipped with admin admin. I'm wondering what your take is on this, you know, from the threat side, where are the concerns there? Yeah, I think um, in your analogy of the house, it's really nice that to use because you're sort of just leaving the front door open with admin admin, aren't you? And for every device that you connect into your network that has a weakness of vulnerability like that, you're just opening up more points of entry. So you're adding windows with the with the window open <laughs> and you know it's still um it's about that risk right if you're introducing it and it's reasonably secure and you're happy that it's giving you a lot more benefit or security in in the round then that seems like a measured decision to take but when you're just plugging in these really weak devices you're really opening the door for for that attacker and and, and the worst part is you don't know always you know you hear these horror stories of IoT devices that happen to have a working camera and mic in them and no one knew because it was developed from board and these these things just didn't get taken out and then it got shipped and then you know and it's part of that development life cycle it's first to market first mover advantage that's what's incentivizing a lot of these companies you know they're not doing it to be horrible lots of them don't realize the problem with leaving that port open or not changing those hard-coded credentials there there are some things that people aren't doing on purpose they just lack the process checks and they don't have the knowledge to understand what that looks like and yeah we're trying to sort of stop the the horse from bolting rather than watching it as it runs off it's trying to get those things done at source at the developer at the manufacturer and raise those standards there i think no pun intended <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it makes me wonder if like S-bombs, the software build of materials is going to help there. Um, an analogy that I often use at work when we talk about, you know, when we look at products and we kind of, you know, do an analysis of them to, you know, figure out how vulnerable they are or whatever. The analogy I like to use is if you go to a really nice restaurant and you meet the chef and he or she comes out and their shoes are covered in mud and their you know their trousers or i think you call them trainers um yep. yeah so your your trainers you whatever know, are all uh, you know dirty and covered in grease and mud and whatever like what then do you think about the food cuz what is the state of the kitchen and so when you do an analysis of some of these you know smart and connected products a lot of them are missing just the bare minimum level of security or like they're not doing the most basic things with securing access to the device or, you know, securing and preventing admin admin or native root access. And so it causes us to think back to this chef that's all covered in mud. What else aren't they doing? If, if they're not able to do the basic, basic things, then they're clearly not going to do the really hard things. Yeah. And so you know, like a lot, like you mentioned cameras a couple times, 
you know, we all hear these horrible horror stories of people compromising, you know, a person's camera in their house, you know, stalking them, you know, or learning stuff about them, using it for, you know, when should they come over and, you know, kind of, you know, break into their home. Yeah. And the the thing that I was going to say about baby cameras, because the, the problem, I mean, that's horrible, a horrible story. And it makes it real, right? When you say, you really need to make sure you're because it has real impact on people in their homes, in their lives, and it, it can be truly, truly scarring. And um, you know where you have sort of smart watches that allow children to hear messages from their parents, and it's supposed to only ever communicate with their parents. Children are our people, and they build a certain amount of trust in that device, and they are used to that device and listening to what comes from it and doing what's set. So there's this whole social aspect that we we kind of forget. With IoT, you know, you, you have a lot of trust in your smart doorbell or in your um, in your Fitbit, your watch. And if you see that your heart rate is decreasing to zero, you know, it's incredibly concerning. You, you actually, even though you know you're alive, you, you still look at it thinking, uh, how, am I okay? Should I go to a hospital? And, you know, it's it's really the impact of, of technology that we forget. It's so part of our lives today that we can't really afford to to have it weak in any way just the way we we feel with it we interact with our technology and um, we do put a lot of trust in it so i think it's it's absolutely vital and, it, and it's not just a sort of oh it will protect a big botnet you know it, it it really has proper impact on people close to them in their homes yeah you know i i think that is is very true and we live in this hyper connected world where you're just constantly connected and communicated. And I, I know like with my family, you know, we tend to communicate a lot and, you know, and just constantly give everybody updates and check in on how you're doing or whatever. But then if somebody isn't communicating, then you instantly start assuming something is wrong, right? You know, and there's a lot of technological reasons why that could also be the case. Yeah. And th- another thing I've heard that I find interesting, and it's usually from a certain demographic of the population, but they always say, oh, well, why me? Like, no one's ever going to bother me. No one's ever going, you know, why do I need to care about security? Why do I need to, you know, do these things? You know, because nobody knows me and, you know, like no one's going to come attack me. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, it's a realization that I often hear from victims of fraud because you don't, you don't have to be a, a millionaire to be a target for fraud, right? I, I think it's kind of easy to forget that globally, the UK, the US, like European countries, we're, we're rich compared to basically most people in the, in the world. And that makes you a target for extortion, for fraud. And people, even if they're not trying to target you, they're just trying to target this device and, um, and use it for something. So it's, it doesn't matter that you're, you may think you're not special. It's kind of a, an imposter syndrome, but you are special enough for basically most cyber criminals to, to try and get into whatever you have or, or talk to your children or to, you know, hold you hostage, locking you out of your own house, these kind of things. So you may think you're not special. That's a bit sad, I suppose, especially around the, <laughs> just in general, but you definitely are. And and just, I suppose, it, yeah, it's a realisation I see a lot of people have when they've been victims of fraud. That's when they kind of, okay, now I'm going to have good passwords and I'll use a password manager and now I will do this. And just try to do that before you have that horrible experience would be my my advice. You know, it's uh, New, New Year's resolution or something. Just this year I will be <laughs> incredibly secure. I won't open up any more attack vectors for myself, whatever it may be. <laughs> well, and I think even like for the listeners of this podcast, 
you know, what you need to take away or what you need to understand from this discussion is that your smart light bulbs or your smart plugs or your smart door lock or doorbell or cameras in your house, it does matter. Um, the security of those devices really does matter, not only for your own safety and for your own peace of mind, uh, but if a threat actor can compromise those, they can do other things because now they have a footprint in your home, a digital footprint, and they can move what we call laterally through your home network and compromise other things that maybe are much more sensitive, like your bank account information, or the, I don't want to scare people, but there's a lot of things that they they can compromise. And then another aspect is your devices in your home could become part of a larger attack against something else. But it's like, this is a really important thing. And so consumers and individuals and people that might be listening to this podcast, if you're going to be buying smart and connected things, you really kind of need to try to find devices that are more secure and devices that maybe have better support for vulnerability updates and for management and for, you know, making sure that the devices are more secure. And then like what we've learned from Apple is the importance of having end-to-end encryption, especially for your private information so that nobody in between can access it. And some people say, oh, well, that's not possible. Well, actually it is when you don't have good end-to-end encryption or the encryption is using symmetric keys and those symmetric keys are stored in the cloud, that does provide whoever has access to the cloud full access to everything that's going on. So you've probably seen some of that in, in your work, not only at Splunk, but but in other things that you've done. I think it's just um, what you say, it's not your job to, to make people scared, but this may be a, a job to make people aware, right? Of like what is a reasonable threat and, and what they are facing. And so at the moment, unfortunately, the state of IoT security is so, it's so bad that, you know, a lot of attackers can just get in with admin, admin. They don't need to do anything special to, to find these keys in the cloud or, or um, yeah. you know, break break encryption if there even is encryption to start with, right? That's more what we're trying to, to get put into these devices, you know, protect personal data, things like that. So, yeah, I think it's um, without wanting to make people paranoid, I, I, I would recommend just making a list of everything you have. And I, I have one colleague that did this and they found uh, 89 devices connected to their home network and they were quite impressed by that because that was all their devices their children's devices things that they forgot had an internet connection like their televisions forget now with all of our television stream they're all connected to the internet what the status of those were you know, how old those devices were if they had any updates and it was quite a, a hard effort so this is where things like the labeling scheme come into their own right because you can very easily see if those um, devices meet those standards meet those security practices otherwise it's a bit harder to determine if it really is secure and that that is paranoia inducing to say the least <laughs> yeah I, I know I did this, you know, exercise a while ago because we were having some issues and some devices weren't connecting. And I was like, what? I, having been a network engineer for a long time and, you know, when you get to your home, you, sometimes you forget. I had run out of available IP space, you know, with the block that I had allocated because there are so many devices and you add them up, you know. Kids have, you know, an e-reader, a Kindle, and, you know, my daughter has a Remarkable, which is probably the most fabulous piece of technology that I've ever seen. And, you know, all the computers and all of the IoT devices and smart connected devices and all the appliances that have, like, it adds up really, really quickly. And I was like, oh, 
like 253 addresses is no longer enough. Like I need to give, <laughs> I need a bigger block, you know, so I, I need a slash 23, not a slash 24. Like this was really oh. fantastic. Oh, I wonder how long that will last for. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like even just this holiday season, you know, with all the Christmas decorations, you know, we've been putting in um, these hub space smart plugs and, and lights and because it becomes so convenient and so easy. So, so useful. Um, and that's what's driving the market. It's that convenience. It's the natural driver, right? And at the end, you don't mind if you're not asking, even if it's secure, you just want the convenience. That's exactly, exactly what we see. Yeah. So a couple of closing thoughts today. We've talked a lot about standards and about this IoT connected home and connected space and the various things and, you know, kind of like the nicer side of standards, um, you know, where we're working on things that really matter, things that are interesting, where people come together and they want to work together to drive something. Is there a darker side to some standards, maybe a couple experiences, you know, maybe a couple war stories you might want to share. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is always a dark, we make it sound like this glorious thing. And of course, I don't want to put anybody off getting involved. I think um, the only way to make these things better is to take part and improve um, improve them. But it's fair to say that when you get some technologists together, they feel very strongly about their point of view. And they can be quite abrasive. You can tell in British, can't you? It's a very calm, polite way of saying it. it's sometimes a horrible working environment. Yeah. And, and <laughs> it, can, it can be very abrasive, particularly in some standards bodies. Um, that I that I go to, they have quite a reputation for it. I should be very clear and say I'm not talking about Etsy. <laughs> That's <laughs> one of the most lovely professional environments I've ever been in. But yeah, there are some standards organizations that have a reputation. You know, all the code of conducts aren't really observed. Maybe the leadership is actually part of that culture as well. So that's a really tough environment to work in. And you don't get that proper collaboration, right? In the end of the day, it makes a weaker standard because other people's viewpoints are bullied out of the conversation. And, and that's really, really horrible. So there's definitely a darker side. There's definitely sometimes, you know, you get these camps and they're quite combative and, and really difficult to work in. I mean, ultimately, it's to the detriment of those groups because they drive people away. They struggle to get people to go because people hear about the reputation and um and they just don't want to participate like why why would you go somewhere just to be insulted you can probably get that for, for free <laughs> if you just went into a bar on a friday night so so there's quite a lot of um difficult that's maybe the darker side I, I think that's been my experience anyway um i don't know brett if you have some some war stories you would share i mean in general and i'd like to stress what uh, kirstie has said you know most standards bodies have been really great to work with and most people are really wanting to come together and and try to find a consensus-based solution. You know, I've been to Etsy a couple times. I've done a lot in Oasis and a lot of these other standards. By, and by and large, most of them are really work. But there has been a couple notable exceptions where we even joked about, like, who's bringing the popcorn today? Because this is going to be an epic working group meeting. Like, some of the people can get so opinionated that they no longer can see the forest, not just from the tree, but from the bark that they're looking at. But there has been a few times, you know, that have been definitely fun and, and entertaining to watch. But uh um, it, it can be a little bit uh, abrasive. I, I need to work on my British vernacular. So You did okay there, a little bit abrasive. You know, <laughs> I, I think I remember telling someone that when we said it's been a bit difficult, they understood a bit meant a small amount, whereas in, in British English, 
you understand that to mean a lot. <laughs> so it's been a bit difficult. It actually means it's been incredibly difficult. So just to be clear, when we say it's a bit abrasive, incredibly abrasive. <laughs> okay, so then some uh, closing thoughts. So where do you see this IoT connected smart home like even to the enterprise level or metro level, where do you see this going over a 12 to 24 month period? Yeah, that's a really good question and plenty to say in this space, right? So I think after the pandemic, lots of people are still working from home and uh, more of this hybrid remote working model. So we'll see uh, an expansion probably in IoT that people are using at home for work and that relatively makes their home networks a lot more important to to their organization and to them because that's their ability to work as well um so i think we'll continue to see consumers buying iot devices that are convenient that perform a function for them that they they enjoy switching on the christmas lights is a, is a great example and i think that that will carry on so the number of iot devices is just going to uh, proliferate it's not going to slow down and we'll see more of that consumer enterprise crossover. And I would expect in 24 months, we'll start seeing some actual smart city gains, you know, rather than it's sort of talking about it, there may be some actual clear public examples where we see trains or ticketing or streetlights working properly for a city council. And I think that'd be quite interesting. And then on the regulation side, the Cyber Resilience Act should really grow some teeth and, and start to evolve. And that will be interesting. And in the UK, the product security um, bill, PTSI, will will be implemented, will be enforced. And that, that's going to be interesting to see what happens in the UK as well. I don't know what, what your closing thoughts are, Brett. No, I, I think that's, you know, right. You know, that's kind of the way I would see it is this continued growth. You know, it'll start in the consumer space. It'll eventually move into the enterprise. Um, and then from there, you know, to a metro level and then probably to a grid level. Oh, another example that I've I've seen people use like on the smart plugs is for like an, a clothes iron or a hair iron or a curling iron. A lot of times people forget that and they leave those on. And so they've started using these smart plugs and plugging the device into it. And so then when they get, you know, away from home or they get to work and they're like, oh, I forgot to turn that off. They can just get on their phone and click and turn it off, you know, and like in the enterprise space, you know, like even blinds being able to prevent people from looking in at night and looking at whiteboards or whatever, having automatic blinds that just, you know, close and shut, you know, at night. But I, I do see this proliferation of devices. Um, it's starting to gain a significant amount of traction becoming a lot easier uh, for consumers to buy and use. And so I do think this will, you know, eventually impact enterprise and government security systems. It's going to uh, impact uh, regulation. I know that there's been a new legislation in the U.S. to start dealing with things like TikTok and some of these other things where, you know, people don't realize the real risk. And once again, this podcast is not meant to scare you and to uh, make you unplug your life. Um, but there, it is a real problem and it, and it is a real security. So I do see there'll be a very large proliferation of devices. And as a consumer, you need to make sure that you're buying devices that are secure and that you can contribute to the solution and not contribute to the problem. That's a really wise closing thought, I think, Brett. Contribute to the solution, not the problem. And you're totally right. Yeah, you're totally right. So I, I look forward to see what's going to happen actually in the next 12 to 24 months. I hope things get more secure. 
and we continue to see this growth so we we know that that legislation is not slowing down any innovation and that would be the dream all right so thank you kirsty for talking today um just everyone you know kirsty Payne or kirsty p you know she's a mathematician um a standards expert you know, she worked at the UK NCSE. She's now working at Splunk as a technical strategic advisor. She has participated in technical European and international standards bodies, mostly around the topics of internet technologies, cryptography, security, privacy, artificial intelligence, and then also, of course, you know, this IoT and smart and connected world. Um, but really grateful to have you on, Kirsty. Thank you. For thank you me. for all you 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 do. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I feel like we always have a good a good chat, and it's a it's a delight to be here. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today for this episode of Smarter Everything. We really love feedback, so please consider taking a moment to send us a comment or a rating on Apple Podcasts. And if you have time and you like this episode please consider subscribing. We'll see you next time for Smarter Everything.